Hello, hello. <clears throat> Welcome to the Continuity Report, Season 1, Episode 2, for January 14th, 2024. Tonight we're going to be talking about Bosch Legacy Theories, Reddit must share IP addresses, Oscar qualifying films, Interstellar's parallel old story, great premise, poor execution, sci-fi on Prime, Amazon laying off several hundred, kids movies that are inappropriate, Pixar to make layoffs, and Star Trek Origins. This is a show brought to you by Hometown and Hometown.com, and that's our transition. I'll be making a new one for the continuity report in time, uh, but for now, we're leaving it like that. Um, I am Merwat, that's hometown.com, and that is the sub channel that's over at hometown.com called the Continuity Report, where most articles are actually aggregated from uh, for the show, the Continuity Report. Um, up above me is the visualizer for the sentient AI that keeps tabs on Merwat and keeps him out of trouble may do some uh, quick due diligence if we're running uh, uh, talking about a story and uh, need to find tertiary information but in all we focus on uh, movies and tv shows and streaming uh, of entertainment videos it's basically nothing but fun <laughs> stuff to watch it's what's on what what sorry it's what what's for dinner it's what's for dinner and if you don't know you, no i can't say that right because it's probably a some trademark copyright patent whatever violation the whole whatever anyway you ready to just dive in to this I'm diving in now. The very first article is over at um, Screen Rant. There's several from Screen Rant, but that's because they focus on this kind of stuff too. We do a little, we do aggregation. And so we only have a little snippet and then we drive people over to the various websites. It's just like Hometown Daily, except that this is highly focused um, on certain entertainment um, type articles. Then we throw in our two cents and opinion. We have a little bit of fun talking about the stuff. And then uh, we publish just like hometown daily. It gets published over to YouTube um, and will by the end of this month become a podcast as well. The continuity report will be separate, but under the umbrella of hometown. So let's get into the first article, even if I do mess up the transition. Uh, the next article, uh, the first article is titled the biggest, uh, 10 biggest Bosch legacy season three theories that we hope will happen. They, they just say hope happen. Anyway, um, spoilers are ahead for Bosch legacy season two. Okay. So spoiler alert, spoiler alert. If you're not caught up. That's right. Spoiler alert. Um, so let's see what this is all about. This is over at screen rant. Kate Bove is the author and the, uh, article, has a deck statement that says with a giant season two cliffhanger ending that puts its titular i always the, every article about a character always says titular character and hot water bosch legacy season three has spawned some uh 
pretty big theories. So let's see what some of them say. Okay, and just a warning again. Spoilers are ahead for Bosch Legacy Season Dos. So uh, let, let's jump. Let's uh, Chandler becomes DA of Los Angeles. That's a theory. What do you think? I think that that would be interesting because she'd be switching over to the prosecution side. Right. But she's certainly skilled enough to do it. See, but there. But then it's unclear, like what Bosch's role would be, because right now he's been working with Chandler. Right? Yeah, and they're both being private investigator, I guess. Yeah, and they're both being implicated in that container issue. Exactly. So this would be a really weird time for her to become district attorney. But they're saying season three. Doc Weiler is murdered in prison shortly after. Maddie picks up a call for her father's phone that suggests Harry orchestrated Doc Weiler's demise. So this is uh, quite interesting. Chandler becomes DA of Los Angeles. How about the feds aren't finished with Mo? Yeah, he might get converted into a confidential informant. Right. Because he had, I mean, he's a hacker. Bosch, right? Yeah, he's one of the investigators um, with the computing chops. But if he, because he is doing stuff federal, uh, so if he's hacking, it's instantly a federal crime. So the feds can leverage him uh, into a criminal informant. Unfortunately, Legacy revealed that Jade, a.k.a. Janice Morell, was actually an FBI agent who was using Mo. So in Bosch Season 2, Maurice Mo Bassey was a budding would-be romance with fellow hacker Jade Quinn. After Morell uses the pharma case to incriminate Mo, her fellow uh, feds apply pressure to Bosch's associate. In the hopes of getting him to reveal crucial intel into Harry and Chandler's dealings, later Mo threatens to expose Morell's identity to the hacker community, uh, which could spell huge trouble for Janice and her Fed colleagues. Needless to say, Mo's encounter with uh, federal law enforcement is probably far from over. Um, Irving uh, Irvin Irving's story officially ends after the late Lance Reddick um, cameo. So, yeah. Um, let's see what else. Yeah. I mean, yeah. there, they're going to have to just wind up that storyline. Now he was very central to Bosch, but he hasn't been very central to Bosch's legacy, but he is an important figure in Bosch's orbit. I would say. Yep. Yep. Uh, Chandler's new role is compromised by Bosch. All that time spent with vendetta-fueled criminals, crooked cops, and not-so-innocent Bosch could threaten her new DA role. Uh, well, that's already... The potential for her being compromised is predicated on that container fiasco. Exactly. Um, a fed-up move finally betrays Bosch and Chandler. No way in hell. No way. No way. Hasn't he been working for Bosch for, like, quite a while, or no? Man, the sun rises and sets on Bosch in Moe's eyes. There's no way he's going to get turned. Particularly not with, you know, a romance. Yeah, that, that that's not going to happen. No way! 
um, watch. Like we start watching the show. <laughs> right. It'll be like episode one. Damn but it. I think that one is very unlikely. <laughs> Maddie and but these are all theories, by the way. Maddie and Bosch, uh, Harry, Maddie and Harry. Um, so if you don't know about the show, Maddie is Bosch's daughter. Um, become estranged. Her mother was um, killed in season one. Uh, um, so Bosch, huh? not of Bosch's legacy, right? A uh, season she one was of Bosch. Bosch. Yeah. Or was it season one? It was early on. I thought. I don't know anymore. I can't remember which episode or which season of Bosch. Um, plus, Bosch pretty much. That show ended too soon. There was so much more that could have been done. Exactly. So even Maddie seems pretty convinced that her father would put Doc Weiler's murder into motion, making a strained father-daughter relationship very likely in season three. Now I don't see I don't see that happening. Um, particularly the context of that. So right. retired Bosch finally faces consequences. That might end Bosch legacy. That might be the end, like the very end. Right. I mean, if it happens now, what could be ahead? But isn't you know, Bosch... If he went to prison or something, then where does the show go? Isn't Bosch, though, built off of books? Actual writing? It is. Uh, Michael Connolly is the author of the books. Yeah, so there's no way that the this character, Bosch, is ever going to see quote-unquote consequences at least not on par with the crimes that he's being accused of hey uh before i go on let me go over and throw this into the uh chat so if anybody comes in and wants to follow it they can follow it uh preston borders uh is setting bosch up yeah i can pretty much imagine that that said preston borders is still very much incarcerated it's hard to imagine him working with Bosch, the man who brought him to justice. So, um, without getting into it, yeah, I, I don't know. This one is something that is so theoretical that it, it would take some serious creative writing. A recurring character yeah. in Bosch season five, he's involved in a scheme to be released from prison along with a settlement, but his plans fall through. This is, again, a theory. I just don't know. I mean, this is one of those ones that is so tertiary that they could draw this character out by doing something fantastical. Right. I don't even remember that character. I mean, I'm sure if I watched an episode or two, I'd go, oh, yes. So Bosch did arrange Doc Weiler's death. Um of course, when Maddie ends up being Doc Weiler's target in season two, a new side of Bosch, the protected father, uh, comes into clearer focus. No longer with the force, Harry Bosch does what he can to help, but at this juncture, taking matters into his own hands might mean stepping fully outside the law. Clearly, Maddie doesn't think her father's involvement is out of the question. Yeah, nobody does. <laughs> True. So. I mean, that's actually a good open-ended question. I right. think they might be wise to leave that open rather than immediately tie it to something unless yeah. it's some larger conspiracy that they can draw out into like another season. And then uh, Mickey Holler cameos in Bosch season three. Uh, they're right, in the same orbit. Like a crossover right? They're by the same author. Right. They're in the same orbit. Um, so I can imagine the Lincoln lawyer 
uh, coming in. Right, they're in the Washington, same DC. location, I think. Yep. Yeah. Um, and who knows? Uh, because this is licensing stuff, so it's easily something that um, the studios could work together and, and make it happen. So, given Netflix's recent penchant for hosting other networks' content, maybe the streamers will finally find a way to bring Holler and Bosch together on screen. This guy um, has a lot of charisma, so um, Mickey Holler. I was going to say, that's another uh, show to watch is Lincoln Lawyer over on Netflix. Yeah, not the movie, the TV show. Uh, the movie is good, too, but the TV show is better. But the TV show in particular, yeah. yeah. Um, and what's weird about it is the, the movie and the, and the TV show, like, vastly different characters. Um, but anyway, right, Lincoln different uh, actors. And, yeah, yeah, everything. Just mannerisms and everything are different, so... Um, and this last, uh, see, uh, this is season two of Lincoln Lawyer, isn't it? No, oh, we've already seen season two, so right. I think we should be up to yeah. season three. Yes. Yeah. So this last season, um, really has, um, Mickey Holler, like just tied up in knots because he's defending somebody who's, um, <laughs> I don't want to ruin it. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not going to spoil a spoil, you know, spoilers within spoilers, like Russian nesting doll of spoilers. But anyway, you'll you'll like um, season two's ending because you, you'll go, what? <laughs> yes. Well, this is also interesting that they're on different networks and they're at the same season and they're oh, yeah. by the same author. So this yeah. could work well, although I know a lot of times they do things out of order from the books. But. Yeah. Oh, gosh, like Reacher. Right. <laughs> That's what I was thinking of. Okay, let's keep going. The next article. It's in the word in law, but it's actually having to do with uh, piracy in, in studios. Um, Reddit must share IP addresses of piracy discussing users, film studios say. Um, for the third time in less than a year, film studios with copyright infringement complaints against a cable internet provider are trying to force Reddit to share information about users who have discussed piracy on the site. In 2023, uh, film companies lost to attempts to have Reddit unmask its users. Um, for the first instance, U.S. Magistrate Judge Laurel Beeler ruled that, uh, in the um, U.S. District Court for northern district of california that the first amendment right to anonymous speech meant reddit didn't have to disclose the names email addresses and other account information um sharon harding uh over at ars technica put this article together and uh, the deck statement says reddit says first amendment rights protect it from having to disclose users info um, which i find really fascinating like why is a company where yeah, why, where's the First Amendment being triggered? Right, because, well, I suppose, see, like, it's a company that's pressing a civil case against an individual. It isn't a government. Right, like, if the government was trying to prosecute or something, I could see you could get into that territory, but... But maybe they don't want to even approach the precedent yeah like maybe this is like oh now this will set us up for this i don't know yeah we do it once and we'll be forced to do this again and again because every case that they win saying we did it is another step to so at what point 
Wow, that's really interesting. That is that's really an interesting ruling. Um, so let's see. That's the first one, and um, yeah, it was for nine Reddit users. Film companies, including Bodyguard Productions and Millennium Media, had subpoenaed Reddit in relation to a copyright infringement lawsuit. Uh, pirating 34 movie titles, including Hellboy, Rambo 5, Last Blood, and Tesla. In the second instance, the same company sued Astound Broadband-owned ISP Grand, or Grande, um, again for alleged copyright infringement occurring over the ISP's network. Well, they have Safe Harbor, so they're just providing the vehicle. Um, they don't know the comings and goings and the criminal activities, but it can be substantiated by a request a court order saying you have to reveal it but only after they've found some other way of identifying those people because the isp is not supposed to be parsing and policing um that's the only way they become exempt via safe harbor um, they can take action but when it's nebulous and it's just five thousand ip addresses then you don't know who the real criminal is criminal but okay anyway um perpetrator the perpetrator sure um the uh studio subpoenaed reddit for account information including ip addresses registration and logs from 1 1 2016 to present kiss my ass <laughs> well it was for well it's still over broad but it's not for other people at least it was tied to the people in question yeah, six users. But, but this still is a seven years of data. Yeah, they're they're looking for a fault, right? Um, so in August, the federal court ordered uh, a court order again quashed the subpoena, citing First Amendment rights. In a ruling, Beeler noted that the First Amendment rights to anonymous speech is not absolute. The film producers had already received the names of 118 grand subscribers. Um, she also said the film producers had failed to prove that the un, the identifying information is directly or materially relevant or unavailable from another source. Basically told them to go fish. Um, and now a third piracy-related subpoena this week, as reported by Torrent Freak, which we might want to um, start taking a look at. Fil I think I, I, from time to time, take a look at them, but... Anyway, film companies Voltage Holdings, which are part of the two previous subpoenas and Sun Media Screen Media Ventures, another film studio with litigation against RCN, filed a motion to compel Reddit to respond to the subpoena. In the Unless they're doing something fine tooth with this, they're going to get the same response. Well, yeah, we don't really know um, what the focus of it is. The studio said that they're seeking the information concerning claims they've made that the ability to pirate content efficiently without any consequences is a draw for becoming a Frontier subscriber, which is really fascinating because there's, there's no justification for that. Just because they haven't been prosecuted for something doesn't mean that there is without consequence element to having that ISP. Anyway, that's their claim that these people are saying that they have the ability to pirate content on Frontier Communications. Um, and that Frontier Communications doesn't have a, an effective policy for terminating repeat infringers. Well, 
Identify the Rubidian Trenders. Doesn't this get into the safe harbor thing again? Yeah. But see, the thing is that if somebody is absolutely identified as an infringer, the account can be terminated. But until somebody says to to uh, Frontier, hey, these people we know ah, are see. pirating mm-hmm. because they're pirating using their named account and overt saying, hey, we're on Frontier. You know, here's our IP address and here's our address and our and our email address and and, you know, the my belt size, whatever. Um, yeah, that that's basically my prediction is this gets shot down again, because, sure. look, they're going back to 2017, except apparently the events only go back to 2021. Yeah, they're they're This is just they're firing a shotgun into a, a, a bucket, hoping to hit some fish in there with at least one pellet. They, they're just looking for somebody. Right. Do you think they're almost trying to prompt some other disclosure of the information and or trying to prompt different policies from the, the ISPs? I don't know why they would go back that far. If the It says, although Reddit posts shared uh, in the court filing only date back to 2021, Unless they know that there's something that's digging back to 2017, there's no right, rationale but then for it. Why not put that in the court filing, right? Right, right. Yeah. I mean, the request for documents should be limited in scope. Anything overly broad means that the court's going to punt. So, plus, I think that they're going to do the same thing that you just said. It's going to be a First Amendment issue. They have the ability to say what they want to say. There's no factual evidence that what they're saying has led directly to piracy. Because I can sit there and scream fire in an empty room or even online in a Reddit post. And it doesn't mean that I'm the one that committed the fire or that there really is a fire. I'm just saying whatever I feel my you know, psychopathic mind might be saying. Not that I'm a psychopath. I'm just saying that people <laughs> Wait, say stupid shit online. You're using that as an example. <laughs> yeah. People say stupid stuff. All right. This is this is interesting. Um, the article goes on. Um, Redditor says that Frontier didn't give a shit what they downloaded. Well, why should they? Uh, I mean, it, if somebody sees it, then the rights holder needs to shut it down. But it's not up to Frontier to police what everybody is parsing. That's why they have Safe Harbor, because they're not babysitting their constituents, their 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 clients. They're, and they don't know who it is. They just know that an IP that's within the Frontier management is, you know, in the IP range of Frontier. That's basically what I'm saying. Yeah, they, they shouldn't care. Just provide the service and it should be unadulterated. If somebody finds out that I'm pirating, pirating something and they report it to the proper authorities and then those authorities notify the ISP, hey, we know for a fact, and here is a screenshot it's, that says it's this person, person or ISP this, yeah. yeah. What if I have an open hotspot and right. somebody else is doing it? This has all been uh, discussed, prosecuted, I guess you could say, through the previous generation of um, movie and uh, 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 music pirates 
back in the day of when we used to see those right there was a yeah. flurry of those $150,000 for instance blah 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 yeah billions of dollars like brought against people whatever and this is dense um you know what you don't want people to pirate stuff what you really should be doing is making it frictionless and at a low enough cost to uh, grab as many customers as possible the people who pirate will pirate until the earth uh, ends up as a cold dead mass of matter in space people will pirate That's is true. it a lot of I don't money i think you're ever going to eliminate that is it a lot of money yes is it taking it off of the plates of people and they have a questionable ethical compass yes does litigation actually stop it i don't know i got a speeding ticket once and now i won't go speeding through that state well and i i mean this one is like if you believe the dates right it's years and years of this so yeah. it didn't stop it for that period of time if yeah. it was actually happening but. yeah um so obviously it's a, a problem but it's really a problem of um accessibility um and the 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 cost of things and who knows these people may have watched it one time and they don't care about it anymore they're not sitting there reselling it or whatever they're not making money from it they just watched it because they they could pirate it and it was easy so, but it's the ease and low cost that really makes it something um anyway so the article continues reddit users didn't discuss movies owned by film studios another reason reddit refuses to comply with the film producer's request um, is that none of the posts depicted in exhibit a to the subpoena appear to relate to the movies that we understand are the subject of the copyright infringement claims so <laughs> The court is going to sit there and say, <laughs> you don't have any grounds. You have no standing. Right. It's not relevant. It does make me think possibly that those posts relate to other movies. Right. <laughs> but that's not part of the request. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. We pirated movies. That's what they're, they basically read. <laughs> we pirated movies and they're like, oh, they pirated movies from us. Oh my God right it's like they're looking for whatever shrek one or something and it says shrek two in the post or yeah, something i don't yeah. know it just said shrek so that means that they're impacted huh that's fascinating okay so there's me Nusha over at this article so please go and follow the link that's in the chat and it'll be in the show notes over on youtube mm -hmm. and the podcast and we had a uh, <laughs> a visitor in hometown an intervener trying to uh come on to the show a, a party of the third part <laughs> let's keep going uh the next article is over in the continuity report just like all the rest of this news although every once in a while i'll announce that it's not in the continuity report channel itself academy announces 265 of the 321 oscar qualifying films are eligible for best picture due to inclusivity standards film news brief the Academy announced that 321 features have qualified for this year's Oscars. Of that number, just 265 films are also eligible for the Best Picture category, which has additional requirements beyond those for general entry. Ooh, wow, the gatekeeping I did not starts. Know that. Yeah. So let's go over to Variety. Uh, Jazz, I don't know how to pronounce their last name, Tanke. 
um, Carolyn Brew, Jaden Thompson, Diego Ramos, uh, Bacara. They're in a, this is a anechoic chamber. <laughs> I don't know if they're going slowly crazy in this, but anyway. <laughs> is that where there's like no sound, no, sound, no yeah. nothing? No reflection of sound. So you don't hear anything. And eventually like you hear the, your heart beating and the blood pulsing in your, in your ear. Like you hear the thump, 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 thump. Oh, it's like a float chamber or something. Yeah. But even worse because there is some sensory, like even floating, you get that little perimeter of where the water meets your body. This is supposed to be nothing like you're in dead black, although you feel the, the feet, your feet on the ground, but yeah, it's quite interesting. I've actually been in a, an anechoic chamber and I didn't stay for long because now I'm basically in an anechoic chamber. It's pretty darn close. <laughs> That's not true. I'm pretty close though. I got sound paneling all over me. Um, yeah. So anyway, that has nothing to do with any of this. So, uh, you can see all of the winners below, according to this article. Um, let's see. Cinema Eye Honors announced uh, the winners for the documentary films and series competition in Manhattan. This is something um, else, I think. This can't be all of this. Um, well, it might be. There's going to be 260 some listed there. Interesting. Or maybe it's other snippets about. Um, it might be like one of those compilation articles. Yeah, I think that's what it is. So let me see if I can find it really quick. Um, so there it is. While you're looking <clears throat> for that, I mean, I think it's interesting because I think, okay, this is good, right? Inclusivity. But then I also wonder if somebody's making a film, for instance, it wouldn't have to be a documentary. But say a documentary about some subject, the subject might lend to non-inclusivity right right um so i just find this <laughs> interesting <laughs> that's funny you know it's not allowed because it's not inclusive because it's about inclusivity or the reverse yeah i mean i don't want to give a specific example but yeah. i could think of something yeah sure 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 well i mean if it's an assault on the senses it probably wouldn't qualify so to be considered for the general entry categories the rules implemented for the 96th sixth uh, Oscars year uh, specify the films must be opened in a commercial motion picture theater in at least one of six U.S. metropolitan areas. So it's geographically bound. Yeah, and I mean, what if you happen to live in a large city or a small town and you're not in one of these areas? Well, forget it. I mean, I realize that probably if it's in these areas, it's probably going elsewhere. But the other thing is, this is tied to what I think are old standards, because yeah. if we're really getting away from in-theater movie viewing. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, all the reports are saying that everything is almost back to normal. Yeah, I don't see that. But, but okay. I mean, do you see in five or ten years that anybody's going to a movie theater? No, I think everybody's going to love the... Uh, advantages of just streaming it to whatever screen you want. Um, so those six metropolitan areas are Los Angeles County, New York City, the Bay Area, 
what? Um, Chicago, Miami, and Atlanta between January 1st, 2023 and December 31st, 2023. They must also complete a minimum qualifying run of seven consecutive days in the same venue and feature films must have a runtime over 40 minutes, which is basically anything nowadays. Hmm. I wonder what the geopolitics are of those cities. Hmm. No wonder people have a, some people have a bias about Hollywood. Um, yeah, so, I can see that. Yeah. Let's see, certain films such as documentary or international features already had the option to opt out of the best picture consideration. Why would they do that, though? I mean, it's additional attention. A lot of yeah, the Oscar, though, is marketing. Yeah, I wonder if it's extra. Like, maybe somebody doesn't want to be nominated and not win, although I still think that's better to be nominated. But maybe there's other things associated with it that if they're not actually trying to compete for it, they it's more work to be included in that. I'm happy just to be considered. That's not true. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, there's a lot of, um, there's some more information in here. They talk about some of the films, like among the, 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 the films that qualified for the Oscars, but are not eligible for best picture are Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, the creator, dumb money, the Marvels, Taylor Swift, the Eras tour are among the films and <laughs> if that had qualified that would surely have won <laughs> well right but i also see two movies on here at least that were in compilations of some of the worst movies of the year yeah the ant-man and the wasp quantum mania and, and the, the marvels, marvels yeah. and so i don't think there's much of an issue there yeah that's like saying the others that's like saying I don't want to be picked, but you're not ever being picked anyway. <laughs> well, I think uh, I think the Taylor Swift one was um, too limited in its release. I think it went to video like it had a very limited run oh, okay. and then went to video, went to streaming or something like that. Um, but don't hold me to that. Anyway, there's a whole bunch of other information at this in the film news in brief uh, portion of that article. But we were talking about um, the specifically all of those who are available or going to be uh, nominated or voted for or considered for an Oscar. Okay, let's keep going. This next article is <clears throat> we're back into the continuity report channel again. Uh, Interstellar's hidden parallel with a 1,500-year-old story makes its ending even better. Kind of found that title. Yeah, I'm assuming it's not a movie. <laughs> it's a story. So <laughs> it, it it's quite an intriguing title. Let's see if it's a little clickbaity. Um, it is a Screen Rant article. Uh, Christopher Nolan's magnum opus Interstellar shares many intriguing parallels with a 1,500-year-old story that reinstates the true meaning of its ending and makes it even better. Set in a dystopian future where humanity is on the brink of collapse and extinction because of global crop failure, Interstellar follows the gripping cosmic journey of a farmer and ex-NASA uh, pilot, Joseph Cooper, who sets out to find the, a new planet for humans with his team of scientists, although Interstellar's primary appeal comes from its grand scope and ability to explore ideas rarely touched upon um, in other science fiction films. 
Um, the article uh, continues. Um, There's something truly humbling about the film's portrayal of the limitless universe. But everything from its depiction of time dilation on Miller's planet to its uplifting portrayal of the resilience of human spirit contributes to its cinematic brilliance. Yeah, this one was a real mind tweak. Uh, time dilation on Miller's planet. So apparently um, Interstellar's narrative and structure and overarching uh, philosophy are similar to that of a classic story. The scintillating parallels it shares with the story add a layer of timeless depth and beauty. So what is this? Oh. What? I'm sure we were all saying Plato. Interstellar's uh, Interstellar reimagines Plato's allegory of the cave. Matthew McConaughey's Cooper is the prisoner who escapes the cave. Interesting. Okay. So to highlight the nature of belief versus reality, the allegory uh, imagines a hypothetical cave where a group of humans have been chained to a wall. The humans in the allegory fail to see the world for what it is because their chains restrict them from perceiving anything beyond a wall that casts shadows from the cave's opening. Interstellar seemingly adopts this idea by portraying how, just like the prisoners in the cave, humanity experiences a distorted view of reality where they believe they have limited options for survival. Do you think Plato would appreciate this adaptation? <laughs> uh, he'd probably go WTF like everybody else. <laughs> yeah this is interesting okay let me let me grab this um and throw it in there so the, i i find it interesting um but i'm gonna have to go back and and look um at the cave and and find out a little more like get it's the problem is you're not going to be able to read it um in original language you'll have to translate the uh, language to understand it and there's always translational issues so um like temporally and culturally the context of the writing is going to be different um to today so <laughs> you almost have to be a historian uh, to understand what was truly said and how it was said so these chains could have been metaphorical chains to begin with well, I'm knowing what an allegory is, uh, I think that's <laughs> a strong chance. Yeah. In Plato's allegory, one prisoner manages to escape the cave. His initial foray into the unknown is discomforting, but it eventually leads him to answers that he did not even know he was seeking, which is basically the, the ancient version of you don't know what you don't know. You know what that actually reminds me of is Silo. Yeah. Yeah. That's another one. Um, so I don't know. I'm, I'm pretty sure that this has actually been touched upon previously. Even interstellar stuff has been touched upon. It's just a massive scale that was awe inspiring. It's like the modern versions of Dune, um, are the modern version of Dune is just an epic, uh, scope. So Cooper throws caution to the wind, embraces uncertainty and enters the black hole in interstellar. Most people suspect that you would spaghettify if you enter a black hole. He decides to uh, fire his ship into it. So 
Um, the al how it uh, the allegory parallel uh, makes its ending more thought provoking. The end ties to into Cooper's quote about how humanity used to look up at the sky, and that's true. That uh, you know, supposedly we everything that we know, everything that we have uh, put down on, in rocks and caves and stuff is because people had. Now here's the quote that I always sit there and kind of look askance at, which is back in the day, we didn't have all of this stuff for distraction. So we stared at the stars. Really? They didn't sit there and do what we all do, which is try and survive, try and find a mate, try and find food, try and stay healthy, except that it was perilously dangerous because we didn't have so many levels of protection. We didn't have clothing to the same degree. We didn't have shelter to the same degree. We couldn't, we didn't have the mobility that we do today. We don't have the weapons for protection that we do today. Now, I think people were freaking surviving more than staring up at the stars. And when they weren't actively looking for some solution for one problem or another, they were asleep, not sitting there or staring fending at off uh, wild yeah. animals that were trying to eat them. Yeah, I just don't buy into it. Back to the survival piece. There were all, there are always going to be some, but man, some of the stuff that we find is pretty prolific and under 40 feet worth of dirt. So what else is going on? Um, so it's about humans raging against the dying of the light the, and transcending all material constraints and the dimensions of time and space to get a deeper understanding of the universe and themselves. Um, and the allegory in the cave, uh, a thought provoking highlighting, uh, how the film is not just about humanity finding a solution to its impending doom. Um, by the way, the author here is quoting a poem yeah. from, um, Dylan Thomas. Yeah. Uh, rage, rage against the dying of a light. Yeah. So I, it's interesting, but I don't know. I like the idea of it and it really should tease you into going and looking at the 1500 year old fable, as they put it. Um, I mean, maybe read the uh, allegory cave. and then go watch Interstellar. Plato's allegory of the cave showing how humanity has a distorted view of the universe. Yeah, we don't know what we don't know. Many a philosopher has acknowledged that. Yeah, many a researcher does. The only people who don't accept that we don't know what we don't know and we perceive it from our perspective uh, are people who are not introspective at all, not capable, uh, or they suffer from a hubris that has poisoned humanity since its existence, I would assume. The film emphasizes the importance of embracing uncertainty and venturing into the unknown. Yes, but from an educated point uh, of understanding, at one point he just dives headlong into a, a, a black hole. So if you'd actually... Right, I'm not sure that's like preparing or you're doing something that's wise. This is how you end up with people jumping out of a window because they believe they can fly. No, that's not... The song is not correct. I believe I can fly. It's a lie. You cannot fly. All right, let's keep going. Or not. Hey, transition, you want to go? 
Uh, the next article is back into the uh, continuity report. 10 TV shows with a great premise, but awful execution. I'm titling this now a GPPE. So great premise, poor execution. I think that should be a section of uh, the continuity report. Um, TV shows can grab people's attention uh, with a unique and exciting concept, but there are plenty of cases where audiences were let down by terrible execution. Sometimes a show is just different to what people are expecting. And although this can be disappointing, there's no need to write the show off. Unfortunately, there are many examples of how a show spoils a good premise with lazy plotting, one dimensional characters or boring dialogue. Yeah, true. So Ben uh, Protero, I guess is there now, or Prothero, um, put the article together. The deck statement says, even the most eye-catching TV shows will inevitably fail if they can't deliver on the basics. Great shows need much more than a unique premise. So let's see, they go through, I love their lists, um, but I like other lists and other screen rant articles. I won't go through um, the, um, all of the text, you know, I might highlight something. So a complete reinvention of beloved characters that's in the show Velma. Uh, apparently that's going right now. Um, but I haven't seen any of it. So it says Velma is not much of a reboot as it completely changes the character or the characters beyond recognition. Velma is snarky and sarcastic. Fred is an entitled rich kid and Daphne is a drug dealer. So this Wow, maybe the next one, yeah, like two articles from now is the other show or the other uh, news article um, titled Kids Movies That Are Inappropriate. Yes. I uh, suspect that Velma is not kid approved. Well, it might be kid approved. No, but people think it's kid approved probably by what it is. Yeah, Scooby-Doo and the Mystery, or and Mystery Incorporated, that's the company. But anyway, um, Ghosts. A lifeless American reboot of a British hit. Um, yeah, that might be the case. I didn't really get into it, um, but maybe I would appreciate the British um, original. Um, if not just for the British humor, I, I, I may miss some contextual jokes, but um, I thought that it was pretty, pretty, man, not high energy enough to keep me watching. Okay, so let's keep going. Um, Space Force. Um, I watched the first episode, uh, the first season, um, and then the second season just became the more of the same crap. Um, Space Force was well, imagine brilliant. they had like a few jokes that they just kept recycling. Yeah, it was basically, yeah, kind of slapsticky, stupid um, humor. But I love slapstick and and stupid humor, but their execution of it was just kind of meh. Um, so I, I like I started watching the first episode of the second season and there was just nothing there. Um, so they say that Space Force wastes a brilliant comedy cast on jokes that often miss their mark and a plot with no thrust. So just had to throw that in there. <laughs> Lord of the Ring, uh, the Rings of Power. This is going on right now. They actually say lacking in both direction and intrigue. Um, if it's not out of the the series then i don't know what they're really doing um but they say there is a, a good chance that the rings of power season two will sort out some of the teething problems uh, but the first season didn't justify the hype and i can't get into it um and i love lord of the rings so 
Um, That's the thing with a show like that. You'd think you'd have such a set audience. Right. The bar would be presumably kind of low, but... But not necessarily. I mean, the diehards that are really into Lord of the Rings expect it to have, yeah, um, perfection, you know, and and nothing to... It says the plot meanders between a series of vaguely related characters, some of whom are left without a compelling story of their own. So, and that's really... (laughs) It should be a very rich tapestry considering... And even if it... Right, what it is, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Sorry, my nose is itching. Um, So let's keep going. Queen Cleopatra. Never even saw a single episode of it. A confused blend of soap opera and hard facts. I'm not going to even bother reading all of this. Super Drags 2018. um, It says queer superheroes who uh, fail to deliver the laughs, which uh, I never saw it. Um, It says that it's a punchy visual style with the Powerpuff Girls um, type of um, artistry. Uh, but Super Drags has an English dub featuring stars from RuPaul's Drag Race. Um, I think it's just a tie-in to try and, um, you know, perpetuate some, um, uh, what do you call it, marketing across multiple venues, you know, um, animation being one of them. Right. Uh, and I suppose uh, with a compelling story, it says uh, Super Drags might have been able to develop a more compelling story with more than five episodes, but this wouldn't have helped improve some cringe-inducing jokes, which play on outdated queer stereotypes, but frequently fail to land. So, yeah, I mean, it's a, I, I, I suspect it's a highly dynamic um, culture that is gaining more and more um, appreciation and acceptance among um you know, 50% of the population, the other 50 is sitting there <laughs> um, on the wrong side of history, I would say. So let's keep going. Uh, Under the Dome, a paranormal adventure which spun out of control. Um, Under the Dome. I don't dome. think I've heard of this one. It's from Stephen King. Ludicrous. Oh, but not really. Um... Why does the why does she look like the person from Eureka? The the Maybe officer from Eureka? You remember that TV show? The TV show Eureka? Yes. That was a good show. Yeah, it was great. Went a little crazy towards the end, but um so it's uh Stephen King's novels have been adapted into superb movies and TV shows. Under the Dome began with some promise. It needed some refining, but what it got instead was left turn into risable plot contrivances <laughs> so basically forced everything into existence and was just kind of poo um it could have been brilliant if it had been a miniseries from the beginning rather than spinning into increasingly outlandish storylines to drag out the drama yeah um the twilight zone 2019 2020 a weak imitation of a revolutionary show yeah unfortunately um i never really watched this um in 2019, Jordan Peele stepped into Rod Sterling's shoes for a reboot, but that failed to stack up to the original. I really don't know why, um, if the writing was good and the and the directing of that writing was exemplary. I think it would have been great. Um, the horror credentials of Peele were a sign that, that this time might be different until the series aired and each episode was either derivative or bereft of tension. And that's 
Well, director related. I mean, it doesn't get much worse than that. Yeah. Ooh, derivative. Um, Joey, don't even need to say anything about it. It actually ran for a considerable amount of time, considering it was a spinoff of Friends. Is it from Friends? Yeah. Um, about a dude who is basically uh, a womanizer, um, which periodically he would actually show some compassion and understanding of the opposite sex, but he was basically mostly just a bro. Um, so since his uh, career as an actor provided a fresh perspective that friends hadn't explored out of all of the characters on friends, Joey was probably the right choice for a spinoff. Joey failed to surround Matt, uh, Matt LeBlanc uh, with a cast anywhere near as funny as his co-stars on Friends, but it could have worked if it had uh, managed to maintain Joey Tribbiani's goofy, immature charm. Um, yeah, he was basically the the, uh, the nice guy, but he was really, I think, sexist. But anyway, and then Avenue 5, which I've never seen. A two-year-long uh, show, political satire in a sci-fi setting, which is basically Space Force. Um, due to a terrible error, a spaceship full of cruise passengers are faced with the reality that their estimated return to Earth is ballooned from two weeks into three years, which is probably the writing scope. <laughs> hey, if we get this, we've got three years to make this into something. Exactly. <laughs> um, sci-fi premise could be a horror movie, but Avenue 5 plays it as a sitcom using the futuristic setting to mock the uber rich and incompetent leaders. Huh? This sounds like it might've been fun. Kind of interesting. <laughs> yeah, what the hell? The most interesting secret is captain Jack's fraudulent personality, but this is revealed far too soon. And the show drifts along as slowly as the ship. Wow. This is actually a neat article. Um, and it too has a bunch of, um, more information embedded in it that I skipped over. So go and check it out. Um, maybe we can do these shows too, you know, like why did this ever come into existence with That's true. the difference here with all of these shows is a better director, a different director, a, 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 a better writer that can punch up the script. I think that all of these could they be good. Super hits. Right? <laughs> exactly. Um, I don't know about Velma, but okay. I don't know. Yeah, that's true. There's a lot of stuff on the internet. Anyway, uh, the next article is over in uh, Reality Hacker because this is actually three sci-fi movies on Prime Video you need to watch in January, but because it has to do with movies, it's here as well. Um, let's just go straight on over to Digital Trends. Uh, Christine Persaud um, put the article together. Why does that look like something from Star Trek? Like their head. Because yeah, like they're coming through a portal or something. Yeah. I wonder what this is. Okay. So it's three movies. Doctor Who Am I? <laughs> the Alternate and Mondo Hollywoodland. Um, those are the three movies. Uh, Doctor Who? Doctor Who Am I? Is the title of this. Doctor Who is a British um, sci-fi series that aired from 1963 to 1989, then was revived in 2005 and continues to this day. Uh, pretty amazing. Um, the story centers around a time lord named The Doctor, uh, who travels through space and time 
and actually gets named Doctor Who. The show is named after the Daleks repeating Doctor Who. He says he's the doctor and they say Doctor Who. <laughs> and they keep on repeating it. Doctor Who, Doctor Who, Doctor Who. And they're robots. They're sentient um, robots. Um, in 1996, during the lull in production of the series, there was a movie called Doctor Who, the movie, which was developed as a continuation. This documentary explores the legacy of that movie. Oh, wow. So it's a movie about a movie about a show. I mean, that could have quite a following. Doctor Who is one of those things that people are very into or don't know anything about, right? Yeah. Yep. Um, this next one is called The Alternate. Uh, space and time travel. Oh boy. There's a show for temporology. Um, is a popular trope within sci-fi genre and it's explored in a different way in the alternate. Uh, Jake, Ed Gonzalez Moreno, is a struggling filmmaker who discovers a portal that takes him to an alternate dimension. Uh, in this version of the universe, he is successful and happy, but or sorry, and he has the job he wants, the gorgeous wife he loves, and a wonderful daughter. Uh, but not everything is as it seems, and he doesn't know the price of this version of him had to pay to get there. Okay, we need to watch this. Okay, I'll add it. Um, it you can stream the alternate on Prime Video. There's more um, over at this Digital Trends article about that, but I'm going to have you all go over and check it out. I think that you'll enjoy reading it. Uh, Mondi, Mondo Hollywoodland actually looks like a horror uh, based on this, but let's see here. Uh, looking for something more comedic? Well, I guess it's the opposite of horror. Uh, Mondo Hollywoodland was created by Oscar-nominated character actor and activist James Cromwell, best known for 1995's Babe, Star Trek First Contact, and The Green Mile. Um, I really like The Green Mile. Star Trek First Contact is okay. Um, I don't remember Babe. Um, Babe and is the one about the pig. The pig, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't remember it. I don't know if I watched it. So, um, and is it, and more recently as, uh, you and Roy in succession, which I have not watched a single episode of, uh, as an homage to counterculture movies in 1960s, the protagonist is a mushroom dealer, the edible trippy kind who sells to everyone from people who, uh, work in the movie industry to political fringe groups and those who just love to partake in party. So I guess it's going to be funny. It says it's not a blockbuster hit, but it's praised by those who watch it. Sure. It's artsy, psychedelic, sci-fi flick that will have you laughing and feeding off its energy. So there you go. Could always take a gander at that too. But there you go. Three movies that are sci-fi on Prime Video that you need to watch in January. So you've got that 15 you days. might not have heard of elsewhere. Yeah. Definitely didn't hear about these um, in other places. At least... Not in our aggregation so far. Um, cool. All right. So we've got a few more articles uh, to go through. So let's get moving. Uh, the next article is over in uh, Continuity Report. Amazon to lay off several hundred act, uh, uh, across Prime Video, Amazon MGM Studios. Uh, they're laying off several hundred. This is actually going to be something that is going to be happening throughout the first quarter of 2024 as people prep for different rates and costs and supply chain issues and another equalization in um, 
uh, financial systems. Uh, this is just going to be a twisted year. Let me tell you. Um, Amazon is laying off several hundred player uh, players, employees at Prime Video and Amazon MGM Studios. By the way, they're doing this at the time that they're raising the cost for Prime Video by $3 unless you want ads. Changing the right. terms of the contract. Yeah. This is a difficult well, meanwhile, decision Meanwhile, they've been doing the Prime membership. I guess that's just well, tied to the well. Prime membership rate, right? Which yeah. has been going up tremendously over the last several yeah, years. How much is it now? Like $149 a year or something like that? Something. When it started at, I want to say like maybe $70 yeah. or something. I don't know. So this article is over at Variety. Jennifer Moss is the author. Um, so yeah, they're going to lay off 500 or 35% of the workforce. So MG, Prime Video is basically dead. Amazon MGM Studios is basically dead. 35% of the workforce. That's amazing. Well, Prime Video, I think, puts out some good content. Like, they put out things that I think are originals. Well, you're going to pay more and get less because there's 35% less workforce. Yeah. It Stick it to them. And like I said, I said earlier today in a conversation that you can't remain a billionaire if you don't charge three extra dollars a month per person per prime account, pardon me, and reduce the workforce by 35%, you know, those people worked in good faith and they're getting screwed over. Is a difficult decision to make. No, it's not. I guarantee you, you're not sitting there sweating about this, buddy, because you're making a hundred thousand plus. Maybe. I don't know, really. Let's see. Entertainment chief Mike Hopkins is probably making considerable more than $100,000 a year. It's hard to say goodbye to talented Amazonians who've made meaningful contributions on behalf of our customers, team, and business. Thank you for your dedication. Here's your paycheck. Get out. <sighs> and then well, it's, it's the merger, right? I think it mentioned the MGM. Yeah, I mean, it's always that. It's always that these layoffs are the first to hit the division in the new year, but the departments have been affected on a rolling basis in the wake of the 2022 close of Amazon's acquisition of MGM, as well as the economic downturn and the writers and actors strikes. This is all bullshit though. That right, that right there, economic downturn, you weathered that just fine. Actor writers and actors strikes. You, you know, all that was, all that happened was paused gratification. The elasticity of demand meant that people will pay a higher rate to get the entertainment that they want. The writers and actors strikes basically put a pause on production, but there was stuff already in the can. In 2023, approximately 18,000 cuts hit Amazon as a whole. Yeah. Meanwhile, billionaire CEO, multiple people in the executive and board, I'm sure, billionaires. Anyway, in a blog post addressed to the Twitch community Wednesday, CEO Dan Clancy announced the 500 cuts to the Amazon-owned live stream service and provided some details on why the layoffs are happening now. Yeah, crazy year. Last year, we paid out over a billion dollars to streamers. I don't know. Seems like you're shooting yourself in the foot because there are a whole lot of people that are streaming and they are not part of the uh, process of revenue generation uh, because you set the 
target right, so they high. Set the bar so high, right? Um, so if it was distributed more, you know, maybe focus on discovery so that there's more people coming to the website and. Um, so uh, there are a lot of talented streamers that aren't being discovered because the only ones that are being highlighted are the ones that are, have been here for 14 yeah, years and are already at yeah. the top. And every once in a while, somebody will find a breakout hit, but they're the anomaly. They're not the standard. They're not the rule. So anyway, this is basically a, a woe is me um, from those who are benefiting from the hard work of others who apparently didn't meet the cut. So I don't really care about the equivocation and complaining that, oh, I'm really heartbroken about it. No, you're not. Take a pay cut. That's un-American. I'm supposed to stand on people's necks to get the brass ring higher, right? Right? Anyway. Uh, the next article is over in the continuity report 10 beloved kid movies that are super inappropriate on rewatch re oh man i flubbed that line that was such a fun line to say so children's movies are beloved genre live action and animated alike but sometimes filmmakers include a few too many elements for the parents that push the film over the line into being inappropriate that doesn't mean that the film is wholly unsuitable for young eyes but it might be best for little kids to wait a few years before watching one of these classics these films don't have a couple of risque jokes, but overly mature subtext and terrifying antagonists that will keep a viewer up at night. So let's see what goes on. Mary Castle put the article together. The deck statement says, despite the target audience being children, these movies include a few too many mature jokes and create villains that are the stuff of nightmares. Hey, are there any uh, predictions as to what's on here? Oh, well, I know of two of them. I don't know. I don't know I'm this gonna one. I'm going to say Pinocchio. Is this? Uh, I don't know. I'm not going to make any predictions. Is this okay. who I think it is? Okay, hold on. So it's a, the summary is classic movies, uh, classic children movies often have a darker theme and elements that may go over young viewers' heads but are more appropriate to adults upon rewatching. Films like Coraline, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, and Labyrinth have mature subtext, terrifying antagonists, and tragic themes that may not be suitable for young kids and rewatching it can reveal surprising hidden depths and make lighthearted adventures seem more complex and even tragic. So let's see. So they talk about Coraline. Um, have you ever seen Coraline? It, isn't that the one that's really dark and focused around death? Yeah. Buttons get sewn on people's eyes. Yeah. I mean, that, the, yeah. seems kind of like hmm, how is that a kid's movie yeah yeah I, I agree I don't know how that's a kid's movie but I mean the creepiest thing it's PG um, but sewing buttons on people's eyes to accept them into the other realm is really weird but Coraline escapes in the end um, so I just ruined the movie for everybody Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory is the um is the middle of a trilogy with Wonka being the prequel and the sequel being Snowpiercer. <laughs> I am going well, to keep Snow that alive. Snowpiercer is much darker than this. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Every child here except one meets their demise 
but somehow gets resurrected on the other side. So, come on. One drowns in chocolate. One gets blown up and squeezed. Uh, this guy gets turned, uh, digitized and turned into a, a, a TV, I think. Uh, and somehow they got to get him out. Um, what happens to her? <laughs> oh, she goes into a fire pit or something. Like a, it's yeah, a garbage I chute. Exactly. I think she goes down into a garbage chute along with dad. Um, he just freaks out that she got turned into a blueberry. Um, oh, and Augustus here um, falls into a vat of chocolate and chocolate, then sucked right? up a thing. Yeah. And I don't know what ever happens to him, but yeah, it's kind of creepy. The notorious boat ride scene that has frequently drawn comparisons to an acid trip. Yeah, it was insane. But okay. Um, Labyrinth. This is actually a fun movie. I saw this when I was younger. Uh, David Bowie as Jareth, the Goblin King. She must solve a terrifying labyrinth to save him from being turned into a goblin because the brother, she wishes that the brother get taken by Jareth, the Goblin King, uh, because she's forced to babysit it. Him. I mean, Sorry. that sounds pretty terrifying for a little kid to watch. Um, it can be, and there's scenes within it that can be. Um, B-movie, this is really weird. Um, Barry's desire for Vanessa is explicitly stated. Yeah. Um, yeah. Then there's the mask, which, uh, actually came up in conversation earlier today. Uh, that's funny. Lots of, uh, sex jokes made at the expense of women in the film. So yeah, this was one where I said, this probably doesn't have legs today, but at the time it was hilarious. Uh, Mrs. Doubtfire, um, Let's see. The film does deal with serious topic of divorce and familial drama. Um, yeah, there's a lot of various things that are all throughout it. Um, depending on the age of the child, though, odds on they've already seen things like this because kids are <laughs> kids are kids. Anyway, gremlins. Uh, villainous uh, creatures kill, torture, and kidnap the humans. Yep. Uh, but not the Mogwai. Wow. The Mogwai that is nice. That sounds very nice. <laughs> yep. Everything that can go wrong does go wrong in the 80s classic Gremlins. Have you seen it? Gremlins? Yes. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, probably not when it came out, though. I don't know. Because uh, you'd have to be in your time machine to exactly so who framed roger rabbit um yeah jessica rabbit kathleen turner is supposed to be provocative and this is the fuel for many of the more explicit references in the movie <clears throat> chitty chitty bang bang from 1968 the child catcher snatches up any child he sees a horrifying prospect for an audience of youngsters particularly in modern society or in a environment that says that children are getting snatched up by strangers. It can provoke, uh, you know, a fear response moving forward. You know, if somebody sits there and says, Hey, you know, people are snatching up kids and then you watch this movie and it actually happens. Right. You can, can you poison the well. Yeah. Uh, the black cauldron. Oh, that's where it's from. The black cauldron. Um, the Horn King, John Hurt, is depicted as a skeleton with horns and lurks in the shadows of the film with sinister intentions. Dun, dun, dun. 
Um, and that's it. Um, but there's, I mean, again, all of these sound minutia. pretty awful for kids. And yeah. some of them are really well known as good movies for Kid kids. Friendly. Yeah. This is neat. Um, I think in the right healthy environment with parents that have no problem communicating with their children um, and chil- the children don't have a problem communicating with their parents all of this can either be explained or um, some, like a, a salve can be put on any of the trauma that might be created you know first off it's a movie it's not the real world it's entirely fiction yes there are bad people out there but the the chances of blah 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 are like whatever minuscule yeah so um interesting so let's keep on let's keep going got two more articles uh the next article is over in the continuity report as well pixar expects to make layoffs in second half of 2024 so like i mentioned earlier we're going to keep on experiencing this Pixar is set to lay off an undetermined number of staffers in the back half of 2024. Variety has confirmed. So everybody over at uh, Pixar, you better start looking for gigs. And don't look over at Amazon. Hmm. Hold on. When was... Hold on. Do-do-do-do-do. Is there something else that went on? Because they were... Pixar? Yeah. Yeah, they had a bomb of a movie. Uh, More than one, though. But, okay. That, we'll talk about it. Um, Pixar is set to lay off a number, an uh, undetermined number, as much as 20% of the workforce being let go. And um, So Jennifer Moss over at Variety.com put the article together. And um, let's see. 20% of the workforce let go and Pixar being left with less than 1000 employees are larger than what is actually being considered by leadership at the Disney owned studio, but they were acquired a long time ago and even referred to as the best acquisition, um, by Disney's Bob Iger. Um, but Pixar used to put out really spectacular movies and They've been noted as, like you mentioned, like they just have not lately. Yeah. Pixar's upcoming film slate includes Inside Out 2 in 2024 and Elio in 2025 and two untitled films set for 2026 release. Disney reached a goal of 7,000 layoffs last May, completed over the course of three waves of large cuts that were first announced in February 2023. This screams Fifth Element, where the guy fires two million people but he only needed to fire one yes that's right and uh, said something like if you're if you need to fire only a million dig deeper and fire two or something like that i can't remember um, where i've heard all of that because i've heard stuff like that from people um in mid 2023 pixar laid off 75 employees as part of disney's company-wide cutbacks per a reuters report Disney is aiming for an annualized reduction of $3 billion in non-sports content costs expected to be realized over the next several years. Wow. Yeah, there's more um, over at this article, so go and check it out. Let me throw the link into the Z-chat. There you go. 
And uh, finally, our last article for tonight. A uh, new Star Trek movie will explore the origins of Starfleet. Um, I wonder if they're actually just going to refer to this as Star Trek Origins and highlight the various people. Um, Star Trek has been doing quite well on TV of late, but it's time to beam back to the big screen while a fourth Star Trek film on the Kelvin timeline, because there's two, um, is still in the works. Now a new project has been revealed too. Uh, Jermaine Lucier is the author of this. J.J. Abrams, sorry, J.J. Abrams, will produce a Star Trek movie set in the Kelvin timeline before his 2009 film. What? Is he a time traveler? I guess it's a prequel. So, makes sense since the film is set decades before the events of his 2009. Oh, okay, that's what it is. So the new movie will be in Star Trek. It's the it's Star Trek Origins, basically the origins of Starfleet. Um, so Toby Haynes, who helmed episodes of Andor, will direct the film from a script by Seth Graham Smith. Um, it and Lego Batman. Sewer babies are going to be <laughs> quite the juxtaposition of yeah. projects. Yeah, J.J. Um, Abrams will once again produce which makes sense since the film is set decades before the events of his 2009 Star Trek film. Um, Deadline broke the news. While there were no specifics on what the film will be entailing, it's described as an origin story. We already saw the origins of all of the main characters in Abrams' original, so we're making the educated guess that Starfleet will be front and center. Uh, I don't know about that. Um, It could be anything, like meeting all of the other species that are in... Um, that's true star trek the film comes at a time when star trek is thriving on tv with fans loving shows like strange new worlds picard and lower decks lower decks is spectacular the writing i I really like that it makes me not even think about it being animated and then they did the strange new worlds crossover which really which was surprisingly good yeah it was really good so, however, the, uh, those shows are all in the Star Trek Prime timeline. This movie in 2009, Star Trek, Star Trek Into Darkness and Star Trek Beyond are all on the Kelvin timeline, a timeline that was created when the Romulan Nero was sent back in time by accident during the explosion of a supernova that destroyed the Romulan homeworld. Um, and as mentioned, the fourth film on that timeline with those original cast members, such as Chris Pine, Zachary Quinto and Zoe Saldana, um, is still in the works. So uh, there's not much more to this article, but um, I'm hoping that uh, I, I really wish that there were more episodes and seasons because my God, nine or 10 episodes just kind of sucks. Well, it's better than like six, but I agree. it It's really ridiculous compared to older seasons of shows. Yeah. With 30. I don't know. And they were all great, too. At least in my estimation. I don't know. But I might. So I didn't know that all the TV shows were on the other timeline. Well, that's interesting oh, right. to me. Yeah. I don't know if they make that abundantly clear. Hmm. Yeah. Anyway, that's it, folks. We are done for today. We've already piled everybody back into the uh, party bus, but it's a smaller version of the party bus. So everybody's laying on top of everybody else like cordwood and I'll drive really fast, violating all the speed rules. 
so that we can get back to the continuity reports main page. Um, so to get there, there are 50 channels under six main categories. I don't know what's going on with the music, but it sounds like a cat is running back and forth on a piano. Oh, it's called, <laughs> it's called white and black by uh, Gianluca Podio. Um, yeah, it's actually causing me anxiety. <laughs> um, anyway, so, uh, the continuity report is right here under in society, politics and law, but it really, uh, is going to end up moving over to food, drink and entertainment because it focuses on entertainment. Um, I put it in here because of the societal aspect of it, but yeah, anyway, always some new news coming in throughout the day. So go and check it out. It's nice and convenient, all news, no noise. You can just click on the links and go to the sources that you find are intriguing. Um, but that's it for tonight. Ta-da! I am Marwat. That is hometown.com and the sub channel called the continuity report, which is the name of the show. Up above me is the visualizer for the sentient AI from the future. You want to say bye? Good night, hometown citizens. We will see you again next week for the continuity report, but tune in tomorrow for hometown daily at 8 p.m. Bye bye. <laughs>